Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hi friends, welcome back to our study of 1 Peter. As we dive into the text today, I want to remind you that we have been studying over the last several weeks uh, through these first few chapters. In fact, we started in chapter 1 all the way through chapter 2 verse 10 saying that Peter has been working to establish their identity in Christ. Uh, We've said this, that there are four anchoring points, four uh, principles that help orient them to their, their identity in Christ during this uncertain time. Uh, Peter's writing to to people, Christians, who are spread out over a region, and and he clarifies that they are living like exiles. They are not home yet. In fact, these four uh, orienting principles, uh, him who is God, uh, this week it's going to be important for us to remember that God is in control and that God is the kind of God that loves us even through difficult times. Uh, we said that the second orienting principle was the hope that we have. And, and this hope that we have says that we are going somewhere. We are going to a promise and, and that God has given us an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. We said in the third orienting principle that we have a history. And that history is that God redeemed us out of slavery. That God rescued us in Jesus. And even though he died, he rose again. And there's this rich history of God's people, a rich history of faith. So over and over again, Peter refers to that history, the Old Testament as well as the Gospels. This week, we'll hear from Isaiah, and we'll hear from the book of Psalms, and Peter's going to bring back again that rich history to remind us that this is nothing new as we live in difficult times. The last element that we said orients us to our identity is that we are holy. We are called to be holy as God is holy. And so last week, Peter taught us that we live not only like children of God, but also like living stones being built up as God's presence, representatives of God's presence in this world. Well, Peter's going to now get very practical. He's going to transition from our identity as those who are in Christ toward the application of, so now that we know who we are as exiles, how do we now go back into the world and interface and interact with those who are not believers? This is a great question. In fact, it's a historical question. In the book of Jeremiah, God has Jeremiah write to the people exiled in Babylon a letter. They're taken out of their homes in Jerusalem and Judea. They're sent to Babylon. They're called to live there. And Jeremiah writes them this letter on behalf of God. And one of the statements that is used in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7 is this. Seek the welfare of that city. As you live there in Babylon, even though you're from Jerusalem, even though you're God's holy people, while you live in Babylon, you seek the welfare of that city we'll see some of that same heartbeat in this text today. We're going to suggest to you that there are three circles that Peter's going to talk about, three relational circles that he is going to use as application points to show us what it looks like to take our identity as God's people and then go into the world of those who do not believe in him. Those three relational circles are these. Number one, what about political powers or the state? Uh, Peter's going to mention the emperor or governors. Uh, We could see parallels to our life today. How do we as believers interact with 
and relate to those who are in power over us politically and in government. The second circle is this. Uh, Peter's going to talk to servants and their masters. It's a great circle for us to recognize. There are some parallels as we also live at times in submission to those over us, specifically employers and employees. I know it's not an exact parallel, but there are some principles we can extrapolate and see that are also at work. Here's the third circle, husbands and wives or families. So what Peter's doing is this. Here's who you are in Christ. Here's your identity as exiles. But how do you live with those who are unbelievers in these three circles? And when Peter answers that question, he is as well going to give us, I think, three principles to live by. So again, three circles that are examples and three principles to look at as we do. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. We're going to go all the way through chapter 3, verse 12 today. Chapter 3, verse 11, Peter again reminds us of our identity. So this is kind of a summary of everything we've dealt with. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, those two terms have been thematic. Sojourners are those traveling through a land that is not their own. Exiles are those who live in a land that is not their own. Those two overlapping terms apply to us. We are traveling through, we're wandering through, we know who we are, where we're from, but we also know that we're going toward a promised land. So how do we live in this land that is not our own? Peter says, abstain, so deny an invitation, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Uh, the flesh is oftentimes used in the New Testament to talk about these sinful desires that we have. In fact, it's the, the native language of the land that we live in, but we're called to be holy. We are different as exiles and sojourners. So we abstain from these passions. Now, these passions are not just sexual, but they, they are really kind of this holistic idea of, of what are the passions of this foreign land that we live in that's contrary to who Christ is and who God is. These passions, they, Peter says, war, wage war against your very soul. So Peter reminds us to keep our conduct, the way we live amongst the Gentiles, those who are unbelievers, honorable. The word here is the word good. This is going to be Peter's application of the, the previous content. Peter's going to say, okay, so here's who you are as God's holy people. So now how do you live with the Gentiles? Well, he says, keep your conduct good. So that when they speak against you as bad or evildoers, they might see your good, your good deeds, and they might glorify not you, but God on the day of his visitation. Now, what Peter does here sets the stage for what is going to happen in the following section of text, those three social circles that he's going to use as, as, as examples or application points. But he sets the stage here as a reminder of our identity. We are sojourners. We are exiles. We are called to live amongst the Gentiles. We're called to live in such a way that they see the good that we do. They see the lives that we live, and they look not to us, but they look to God and glorify him. So, the three circles we've already mentioned. Those are, number one, how do we live with those who are in political authority or governmental authority over us? Social circle number two, how do we live in relationship with those who are masters, or we could use the employee-employer metaphor. Uh, number three, how do we live in relationship when it comes to marriage? But here's the three principles that I want you to see that we need to live with 
in those three circles. I think we'll see these in all three of those, uh, of those examples that Peter's going to give. Here's the first component or first attribute. Number one, we need to trust God in the midst of our relationships with those who are unbelievers. This trumps all other things. That ultimately, as those who believe in God, when we go back into relationships with those in the world who do not believe in him, there has to be a fundamental element of trust. Remember what we've said with our anchoring points? When we look to him, we trust that he is in control. That's going to be significant. As we look at the social circle of those who are in government, those who are political leaders. For Peter, this is the emperor of Rome. They had never known a Christian leader in their history, in their lives. That's unfathomable to them. And so trust in God is vital, even though those who are in authority over them are not believers. That same thing is true for the masters uh, and the servants, the servants who are treated unjustly or unfairly because they have unbelieving masters, or even the wife. The wife example that Peter gives is the wife of a husband who's an unbeliever. So fundamentally, one of the attributes we need to have as we take our life in Christ and go back into the world is a deep level of trust in God. In fact, I'm going to argue we need a bigger view of God so that we can have a better view of how to live in relationship with one another. So trust is the first word. Here's the second attribute. second attribute that we'll see in all three of these examples is reflect. And here's what I mean by that. Reflect Jesus. Peter's going to call us to trust God and reflect Jesus in every relationship that we have with unbelievers. Trust God that he's big enough, that he's sovereign, that he loves us, that he redeemed us, that he will save us. And reflect Jesus. Reflect his love. Reflect reflect the way he honors and, and lifts up other people. Reflect the way that he serves. Reflect the way that he sacrifices. Trust. Reflect. And here's the third word. The third word is the word witness. In our trust... And in our reflection of Jesus, ultimately, that serves as a witness, as an example or a testimony to the world around us that God is who we say he is and that Jesus is who we say he is as well. In other words, we become a living embodiment. There's that temple metaphor. We become a living embodiment of God's presence in the world that as we trust him and as we reflect him, we will tell the story of him to those who look in on our, um, on our relationships with others. So let's look at this first circle, this first circle of our interaction or our um, engagement with human institutions. Peter says this in chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. And right away, we might bristle against this phrase, be subject or be in submission to. Uh, submission to is uh, submission is kind of an interesting word. You would submit to those who would protect you often. Uh, so you would put yourself under the authority of someone who would make decisions for you, provide for you, protect for you. But as believers, we have already submitted ourselves to Christ. We live in submission to God. This is part of the trust that we have to him. But Peter here says, but because you trust God, you can also put yourself in submission to those leaders that are over you. Well, how do we do this? Well, notice the level of trust that is here. Let's look for those three principles, those three attributes, trust, reflection, and witness. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Okay, there's a hint. We're not doing this for us. We're not doing this for them. We're doing this for him. 
Then Peter goes on to say, whatever human institution this is, whether that be the emperor as supreme or the governors, but then he adds the phrase, as those sent by him. In other words, God is in control. Even the the Roman emperor or the the Roman governors are under God's control. This This is historically thematic throughout the Old Testament is that God uses even rulers like Assyria and Babylon, even if they bring judgment or difficulty, God is still using them as his instruments in his ultimate plan. So we can, in our submission to God, submit to leaders, trusting that God is able to carry out his plan. Notice what Peter says here. Trusting God is vital for our ability to interact in a way that is honoring to him when it comes to these human institutions. We trust that these governors and these emperors were sent by him to punish those who do bad, evil, and to praise those who do good. Notice this theme continues to play out, good and evil. Verse 15, this is the will of God. This trust factor continues to play a theme. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In other words, those calling out false accusations against the exiles, against the believers. And they had all kinds of accusations against the believers. Uh, Those who were part of the the Roman outside group who were not believers, they accused Christians of all kinds of things. They accused them of insurrection, of being in rebellion. Uh, After all, they claimed that Jesus was king, not the emperor. They they didn't make the sacrifices to the emperor, the, the propaganda, the political alliances to Rome that you would expect. They accuse them of cannibalism. After all, communion is uh, eating flesh and drinking blood. Uh, They accuse them of even incest because of their calling one another brother and sister. There were all these rumors going around. But Peter says, no, no, no. Trust God. Reflect Jesus. And let that be a witness when it comes to the good conduct that you have to the world around you. So... Peter says, this will silence those foolish people. Verse 16, live as people who are free. Now, we love this. We almost like beckon back to to Braveheart and freedom, like be subject and freedom seem to be in tension with one another. But that's not how Peter teaches it when it comes to the attributes of being in submission to God. We can live in freedom with Christ, but also subject ourselves to those whom we disagree with. Notice what Peter says, live as people who are free, but don't use that freedom in Jesus to cover up for evil, to cover up for rebellion, for doing bad. Live as people who are free. Why? Because our freedom is such a bigger freedom than just an earthly freedom. We have been freed. That's part of our history. Remember those anchoring principles for our identity. We have been freed from sin. We've been freed from slavery to sin. We've been freed and promised a promised land. Nothing in this world can take that freedom from us. So let's not use that freedom to spark rebellion and do evil, Peter says. But instead, let's live as servants, not of the state, but as a bigger picture, servants of God. So this bigger picture, we need a bigger picture of God to have a better picture of the world around us. So Peter comes and says, verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear no one but God. That's a theme throughout 1 Peter. We don't have to fear anyone. The state can kill us, persecute us, cause us to suffer. We'll deal with suffering next week. We fear God. That's why we live this way in this social circle when it comes to human institutions. Because we trust him. We fear him. We are in submission to him. 
And so Peter closes out this particular circle by saying, honor the emperor. The Bible has much to say on this particular theme, and I recognize there are some acknowledged difficulties. When is it ever appropriate to not be in subject to those who are in power over us? There are apparently times, after all, Peter himself in Acts chapter 5 said to the Jewish leaders, we must obey God rather than you. So when is it appropriate? Well, the biblical answer seems to be this, that we ultimately are in submission to God. And that whenever we can reconcile that submission to God to the submission of those who are in human authority, then we live in that humble submission, trusting that God will carry out his will, even if that means our own suffering. However, when submission to those who are in political leadership means a lack of obedience to God or a lack of submission to God, then we ultimately, like Peter, turn our attention to God and say, we must obey God rather than you, even if that means are suffering as well. So we see this play out throughout history. We see, you know, examples of this. Jesus turning over the tables of the money changers in the temple. Uh, What is Jesus doing there? He is trying to free those who are being subject to this injustice that's taking place, this lack of access of worship. We, We see examples of this throughout history of Tyndale and Bonhoeffer and just this last week studying Harriet Tubman. We see examples of those who say, ultimately, if I'm going to stand in a position in opposition and not be subject to those in human institutions. It's not because of me and my rights, but it's because I'm going to stand up for someone else. And so I want us to again see those three attributes, trust, but also reflection. What does it look like to reflect Jesus? And sometimes this reflecting of Jesus means being a servant, but sometimes it also means standing up and bearing sacrificially the persecution or the pain or the suffering that comes because we stand and we redeem or we bring out freedom for other people. So we recognize that there's some tension here, and we want to look at this with the holistic picture that Peter gives us of our identity. As we do, we also want to recognize that over and over again, the norm is this. The norm is that we can live in submission. The norm is that we can reflect Jesus by honoring The norm is that this will result in witness. And so we find that this result is that it'll cause praise for those who do good, is that it'll silence those who are foolish and levy false accusations against the church. So here's our first social social circle. Those who live in human institutions as unbelievers over us, and we as believers who live with them. How do we live in Christ and also in the world as exiles? Here's the second circle. We'll walk a little bit more quickly through this because I think you can take these principles and now apply it to the text and study it on your own and pull some of these attributes out. The second social circle is this, those who live as servants in relationship to their masters. As you study this text, I want you again to look for these three attributes. What does it mean to trust in God? Notice what Peter says. Those who are servants should be mindful of God, that this should be lived out in the sight of God. He says that those who continue, they entrust themselves to the one who judges justly. Look at these view of God. God is mindful of us. He sees us. But we're also mindful of him as we live out our lives in relationship with other people. We trust that God ultimately will bring us justice and vindication. The second attribute, we should reflect Jesus. Well, servants 
perhaps more than anyone else, reflect Jesus' attitude in the world. Over and over again, Peter says, this is a gracious thing. This is a good thing. In fact, in a large paragraph in verses 21 all the way to 25, he says, you servants who live this way, you look just like Jesus that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53. You look like the suffering servant. He quotes from that, that, that uh, text in Isaiah. So he says, just as Christ suffered for you and left you example, you also, servants, live in his steps in this relationship. And I know I want to acknowledge the difficulty in this text as well, that sometimes we look to the Bible and we expect it to call out the institution of slavery, recognizing that they didn't live in a post-enlightenment world, that representative um, government was not part of their, their knowledge or not part of their mindset. So for for Peter, he and Paul, they turned the institution of slavery upside down by saying servants now have an inheritance, by saying masters are servants, and that masters should treat servants as brothers. But here, the example is servants who live with an unbelieving master. And the goal, as they trust God and as they reflect Jesus, is to be a witness to perhaps win that master over to Christ. This is a gracious thing, ultimately, for those who are living in this kind of a way. Ultimately, we see this example in verse 25, where Peter says, even we were strained like sheep. We've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And Peter says, man, this is what I want to happen in this world over and over again, because of the way we live like God. And so I want to acknowledge that this, this text can be difficult. A third of the ancient world, according to some estimates, a third of the ancient Roman world were servants or slaves. And, and even by more estimates, many of them were a part of the church. And so Peter is addressing a key component of a key circle of his constituency, of, of those who are his audience. And he's talking to them about this difficult task of how do you live like Jesus with those who are unbelievers in your everyday life. Here's the third circle, and that is of marriage. And again, we can see a similar uh, trait play out, these three same attributes. How do you trust God in your relationships? How to reflect Jesus? And how do you witness to the unbelieving world? The first example Peter gives is that of wives and their husbands. And he says to wives that they should submit themselves or be in subject uh, in relationship to their husbands, to those who don't obey the word, so that they might win them over. This relational talk, I'd encourage you, if you've not yet listened to the sermon from this past Sunday, that you do. Peter unpacks this in a powerful way that we won't have time to do in our text today. This midweek study, by the way, is meant to dovetail with that weekend service. But notice these attributes, that there's an element of trust. This is, this is like Sarah in the Old Testament, who hoped in God. That as she hoped in God and trusted in God, she was married to a guy that was less than perfect. Abraham was less than perfect. And he did not always make decisions that, that looked like the wise decision. And yet Sarah trusted in God. Sarah was someone who was on a journey. They were wanderers. They were sojourners. And she trusted that God would be faithful, that he would bring about his promises. And so this example of trust is given to those who live in this relationship. There's also a reflection elements. They are called to reflect Jesus, to, to be be have their beauty in their heart, and to conduct themselves in such a way that they can serve those who are around them in their family, including their husband. So we see this trust, this reflection, and ultimately this witness, so that that husband might be one. 
We see the same thing for the husbands. Husbands, you are to trust in God. You are to reflect Jesus in the way you treat your wives. You're to treat them in an understanding or knowing way, an intimate way. You're, you're to treat them with compassion, recognizing when Peter uses this, this phrase, weaker vessel, we sometimes bristle against that. But, but Peter recognizes what we often recognize, that women in the ancient world as well as today are oftentimes uh, victims. They're oftentimes vulnerable uh, to physical abuse, um, to sexual abuse, um, to, and especially in that day and age, um, to those being ostracized or set aside with injustice and not having their needs met. But Peter calls that those who are their husbands to, to step up and to recognize that they are co-heirs and to recognize that this grace that has been given is a shared grace and ultimately so that the prayers of the, the person treating them with justice or injustice so that there's, those prayers are not hindered. Husbands are called to trust and to reflect and to witness to the world around them by the way that they treat their wives with, here's the word I want to land on, with honor. That word honor is the word value. So Peter over and over again is elevating those who are oftentimes devalued in the ancient world, whether that's servants or whether that's wives. And so we find in this text this, this ultimate attribute uh, or these attributes that we are to have as Jesus's people. That as Jesus's people who are his children, we are obedient to God as his children. We are his temple. We take his presence and we reflect him everywhere we go. We, we find that this takes place now for Peter in the example of these three circles. In the circle of our lives with those who are in leadership over us. In our lives with those who are in our families with us. And we're called to ultimately, in all three circles, trust in God, reflect Jesus, and be a witness. So I want to ask you... It's kind of long text for us. I want to ask you this question. As you live for God, as you live as someone who has taken on the identity of a believer in him, how do you go back into relationships with those who are unbelievers and have these three attributes? What does it look like for you to trust God right now in your life with those who are in political authority over you? Or perhaps those who are in authority over you in your workplace? What does it look like to reflect Jesus in those relationships? What does it look like to be a witness in the world right now in 2020 with all that is going on? That question is for you and your family as well. What does it look like to trust God right now in your family, to reflect Jesus in your family, and to be a witness maybe even to those who are unbelievers in your family during this season of life? You see, if you start to extra extrapolate these principles in your life, it will begin to shape your framework of how you see those relationships rather than being concerned about your rights and your desires and your passions and your needs. You'll start to discover that what we are called to do as followers of Jesus is to deny ourselves and be concerned about our witness to them and their needs. And their ultimate need is to come to know Jesus. And how do they come to know Jesus? Ultimately, they come to know Jesus through you living like him. As we come back together next week, we will continue with this particular section in chapter uh, 3, verses 8 and following, and we'll recognize that what Peter's going to say is this, is that God sees us and he knows, he hears, he listens, even as we now live in this world that might bring suffering because of our living for Jesus. Join us next week. I'll look forward to seeing you then. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. 
For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.